for a word of prayer as we hear the word of the Lord for us. Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua Mishikenu. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we come before you today, Lord, truly desirous for more of you, desirous for a heart that truly hungers and thirsts for righteousness, Abba, a heart that pleases you in every way. So, Father, I pray, Abba, that you would do a work in us, Abba, that you would speak to us, that you would change us by your grace and help us in our weakness. And we ask it in Yeshua's name. And God's people said, Amen. Uh, Just so you don't uh, get jealous, men, um, we have something planned for the men coming up, like maybe a Super Bowl thing at at the rabbi's house. So, um, if you're available... (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and the halftime, you know what the halftime show is going to be? A devotional from the rabbi. Baruch Hashem. So you don't have to see any body parts or anything like that. You know, say go awry. You could be with the, you could have the halftime devotional from the rabbi. So, and donuts, of course. Yeah, you know that. Um, Today I'm going to be continuing in our series entitled Cultivating a Hunger for God, right? That's what we've been in. We've been in 21 days. We've had really good prayer meetings here. I don't know if you, if you attended. You know they've been good. If you haven't attended, they've been good. Um, <laughs> I'm just telling you. And by the way, my, to my Hebrew students that got off from their final this week, okay, you get a bonus if you recognize that the words on the screen weren't Hebrew today. So. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, they did, yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, don't you want a greater capacity for God? You know, look at the world. Um, doesn't have a lot to offer. I don't know if, uh, listen, I'm not getting political, okay? But let me just say this. One little thing. If Donald Trump is the best the world's got to offer, you know what I'm saying? Yeshua is what we long for. Amen? And I'm not saying, listen, I'm sure he's a great guy, this, that, and the other. But, man, I mean, you know, the world leaves a lot to be desired, doesn't it? Um, but God never disappoints. And so, you know, even as we, you know, look to give, you know, you know, we've been accused, I just, this is all free. It's, it's your body. This is like, a, we're having like a little sit down. Um, you know, we've been accused of the past of like uh, uh, begging for money. First of all, you know what the, the cool thing about it is? All of this is God's. Um, we give, you give, we give to the Lord, right? Um, we give unto the Lord because God is good. Um, uh, we do it because we want to give, right? We do it because uh, he's faithful. And can I tell you that if you've watched Wall Street of late, could I tell you, this is my theory, that the kingdom of God is the best investment that the world's got. It's not Wall Street. It's not in Beijing uh, the best investment, the best place we could put our resources, both our finances and our talents and our energies, is the kingdom of God. 
And only in the kingdom of God is everything that we have secure. That was free. But I believe that with all my heart. So let's get back on track. Tonight we're going to be looking at what a surrendered heart looks like. So we can get to work and emulate it. Everything that pertains to the Malchut Elohim, everything that pertains to the kingdom of God comes down to a matter of the heart. Right? Doesn't it? Everything boils down to a matter of the heart. And so, the condition of our heart should be of a, you know, top priority for you and for me to make sure that our heart's condition is in the very best place it could be. To surrender our hearts to God, to truly surrender, it opens the floodgates of hunger and desire for Adonai and his kingdom. Hear me. When we are surrendered to God, some people wonder why, gee, I don't really, you know, you know, God, I could take him or leave him. Can I tell you that when we surrender to God, it opens the floodgates of desire and hunger and thirst for him. General William Booth, you know him? He founded the Salvation Army, was once asked to reveal the secret of his success. After some hesitation, tears came to his eyes and he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities, but from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Yeshua could do with them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all that William Booth was. That's something. You know, it's profound. It's really powerful if you think about it. That God would have everything of you and I. Everything. And it was with this which led Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman, the questioner, to remark, I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. Think of that. The greatness of man's power right, is in the measure of his surrender. How surrendered are we truly to the Lord? So we're talking about a surrendered heart. I believe that as we learn to surrender more and more to God, we empty ourselves of the corrosive power of the world, our flesh, and Hasatan. When we do this, it leaves a natural void and hunger for God, which is what our spirits really hunger and crave for anyway. Let each of us then open ourselves up to God and his Ruach so he can speak to our hearts. Then as we each yield to God and his ways, our lives will be changed and transformed. They will, but it happens as we surrender. Maybe you should pray. Let's take a second and pray quietly in your heart. Say, Lord, today I choose. Help me surrender fully to you. Amen. You see, a surrendered heart requires the surrendering of all that we are. 
Um, for us as a Messianic Jewish community, this is something we should be very familiar with since it is brought to our attention each and every week as we recite the Shema, right? We did it today. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, Adonai our God, Adonai is one. And then verse 5 says, And you are to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and all your resources. All. The Hebrew says, Kol levavcha, kol nafshecha, and kol meodecha. All. Israel's duty, said the commentator to the JPS Torah commentary series of Devarim, he says, Israel's duty to love God is likewise inseparable from action. It is regularly connected with the observance of his commandments, as in chapter 10, 12 through 13, chapters 11 and 13. In such contexts, love means to act lovingly. That's a revelation, right? This usage is comparable to that of ancient Near Eastern political terminology where love refers to the loyalty of subjects, vassals, and allies. In fact, one of the striking parallels between political treaties and the covenant between God and Israel is the requirement that the vassal love the suzerain. That the lesser... Love the greater. That is, act loyally to him with all his heart. Amen? He goes on to say, to do something with all the heart and soul means to do it with the totality of one's thoughts, feelings, intentions, and desires. Let me say that again. To do it with the totality of one's thoughts, feelings, intentions, and desires. Isn't that, that's wow. The phrase is used to describe how Israel must love God, serve him, observe his commandments, and return to him. In these exhortations, the emphasis is on the word all. That's why I picked it, because I had a sneaky suspicion that when we talk about to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our mind and our strength, that the emphasis is on the all. God wants it all. God wants it all from us. It's clear from 13.4 and 1 Samuel 7.3 where the phrase refers to serving the Lord alone without dividing one's loyalty between him and other gods as Israel, right, has always been subject to. But also anything else for that matter. <laughs> to love the Lord only. That he would be the one that truly captivates our heart. Think, I mean, the one that captivates our heart. 
Who knows C.S. Lewis? He says this, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms, laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you are sorry, realizing that you have been on the wrong track, and getting ready to start life all over again from the ground floor. That is the only way out of a hole. This, this process of surrender, this movement full speed astern, is what believers call repentance. Have you repented lately? I know I have. I repent every day. <laughs> and repentance is a part of surrender, right? You're saying, God, I'm wrong. You're right. God, not my way, your way. Not my will, your will. He goes on to say, now repentance is no fun at all. It is something much harder than merely eating humble pie. Anyone ever have a slice of humble pie? We've eaten our share, I'm sure. Doesn't taste great, right? It means unlearning all this self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing part of yourself. Undergoing a kind of death. Isn't that what the Messiah said, right? To, to be dead to ourselves and alive to him. In fact, it needs a good man to repent. Only a good person can repent perfectly. The worse you are, the more you need it and the less you can do it. Hear that. <laughs> the only person who could do it perfectly would be a perfect person. Uh-oh. And that person wouldn't need it. So then, it is Yeshua who helps us to do this impossible task of surrendering ourselves, of giving up on ourselves. You see, we can't do it on our own. He helps us to surrender. You see, I think that word is often a sticking point to people. We surrender all. And we panic as if... I don't know if I could surrender all. I don't know if I could give up anything. You can't in your own flesh. But you can with the help of Yeshua and his Ruach. It says in the, Messian, to the, the letter to the Messianic community in Rome, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as or to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. That was the Amplified. Listen to this one in the message translation. Grab it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. 
you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I want to read that part again where it says, Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. You see, surrendering all is more than just surrendering all the parts of our lives that we want to surrender. All the parts of our life that we're willing to surrender. You see, surrender, for it to be legit, needs to include surrendering, hear this, what matters most. Surrendering what matters most. Of the Ten Commandments, the first three really talk about the supremacy of God in the lives of his people. And what God is saying is that he expects to matter most in our lives based on the redemptive relationship we have with him. You know what I'm saying? God has an investment in you. God created you. Every cell and fiber of your being, he put it together by his hands. He breathed his breath in you. He redeemed you from darkness and brought you out into light. He has a vested interest in you. And based on that venturous interest, he expects that he would matter most to us. It's not unreasonable. We cannot help but notice that men and women of God, even prior to the Torah, have always been willing to prove their love and devotion to God by putting him first and considering God the most important relationship in their lives. And I want to point out a couple examples that are powerful. We know them. The first one is in Bereshit 22, right? What mattered most to Avraham? What mattered most to him in an earthly sense? Yitzchak. He waited a long time for that promise, and he was his pride and joy. After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Yitzhak and go to the land of Moriah where you are to offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will point out to you. Avraham got up. I mean, doesn't that say something to you? I mean, as a father, as a parent, God asked that of you. And in the next morning, it says, Avraham got up. And he told his son, pack your stuff. Matter of fact, he made him carry the wood and said let's go 
Do you think that was easy for Abraham? No way. But he did it. He took what mattered most to him in an earthly sense and surrendered it to God. That's mind-boggling. He departed and went toward the place that God had told him about. Wow. You see, real surrender is surrendering what matters most. We look into the Brit Chadashah and we see this kind of surrender to God as normative for those who would come to follow Messiah. Matter of fact, here in Philippians 3, Shaul writes, But the things that used to be advantages for me I have because of the Messiah. Hear that. The things that used to be advantages to me, not because I thought so, because I changed my mind, but because of Messiah and my relationship to him. I've come to consider a disadvantage. Not only that, but I consider everything, say everything, a disadvantage in comparison with the supreme value of knowing the Messiah, Yeshua, my Lord. It was because of him that I gave up everything. Say, I gave up everything. And regarded all as garbage. That's what you saw that Avraham did. Now you hear that Shaul did the same thing. He gave up everything for the Messiah. And he didn't do it begrudgingly, and he didn't do it and complain, and he didn't do it and say, well, why did I do that? Look what it's gotten me. I've been stoned and shipwrecked and beaten, and right? All the things that befell him. He didn't do it and complain. He did it and said, I consider that those things garbage in comparison to knowing God and his Messiah. He goes on to say, in order to gain the Messiah and be found in union with him, not having any righteousness of my own based on legalism, but having that righteousness which comes through the Messiah's faithfulness, the righteousness from God based on trust. Yes, I gave it all up in order to know him. Talking about surrendering what matters most. The scripture also gives us an example of those who chose not to surrender to God. And I want to read it for you because I want you to have something to compare it to. So you can make an intelligent choice of what side of this thing do you want to be on. A man approached Yeshua and said, Rabbi, what good thing should I do in order to have eternal life? He said to him, why are you asking me about good? There is one who is good. But if you want to obtain eternal life, observe the mitzvot. The man asked him, which ones? And Yeshua said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and, mother and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, oh man, I have kept all these things. Where do I fall short? 
Yeshua said to him, if you are serious, and this is what we're talking about. You see, partial surrender, which he obviously did, right? Because he was like, he was doing most of them. But what Yeshua is pointing out to us here is partial surrender isn't really serious surrender. It's not really being serious with God. And he goes and he says, if you are serious about reaching the goal, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he was wealthy. This is a classic example of being willing to surrender just the things we want to surrender. Even 90%, even most, but not surrendering all. Not the things God wants. Anyway, see, this young ruler went away sad. If we're not fully surrendered, we're going to be a little bit, we're not going to really have the joy of the Lord that we long for. Perhaps you're struggling to surrender. It's okay. I don't think there's anyone who doesn't struggle to surrender, to be honest with you. Even if this young man would have chose the right thing and said, okay, I believe he would have wrestled with God to come up to that decision. I think it's normal. And maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you struggle at different periods in your life to surrender. Consider this story. Bruce Larson tells how he helped people struggling to surrender their lives to Messiah. And he said, my pet finch. You know what a finch is? Little bird, cute. Cute. His pet finch named Coffee. That's a great name, right? I could go for a cup myself. Runs into it, but if I had coffee, I'd want, you know what? A donut. <laughs> and you know what? We went shopping. I'm gonna, let's, let's go off a little rabbit trail. We went shopping today for the big storm, you know? And, you know, because, of course, you got to get milk and bread. Because, God forbid, if you would miss a day without milk and bread, right? I don't get it. But we did, like everyone else. And I did think about getting donuts. But I, then I said to myself, if I, who am I kidding? If I'm locked in my house with donuts, every last donut that I buy is going to go down the hatch. Forget the donuts. So we went without the donuts. I passed by the donut aisle. And so coffee reminds me of donuts. Sorry. It just does. I mean, doesn't coffee and donuts go great? I mean, let's get back to the finch named Coffee, runs into a serious problem once in a while with his finch. Her claws grow so long that she loses the ability to control them. And they get stuck in the nest and she can't get them out. So she's, And once, um, he says, that we found her nearly dead, hanging for hours upside down with one claw ensnared in her wicker home. Carol, his wife, rescued her and nursed her back to health. He said, we decided we needed to regularly clip her claws so she could maintain control of them. So, he says, I reach into the door and try to catch her while she desperately scrambles to the eight corners of the cage to escape capture. 
Once I do grip her gently in my palm, her heart races in a panic and she attempts to peck at my hand to free herself. You can see it happening, right? I hold her steady, clip her nails, and release her back into the safety of her cage where she gleefully flies for months without getting ensnared. But when the nails grow again, we have to repeat the procedure each time with her panic, pecking, and distrust. He goes on to say, it's sad when she distrusts me. Charlie, who is Coffee's nest mate, seems to enjoy being held and stroked, simply receiving the care for what it is as we clip his nails. He says, I'm afraid I'm more like coffee when God gets me in his grip. I fret and resist and at times turn hostile toward him as he holds me tight and gives me a trim. Can't you relate to that? He says, I wish I was more like Charlie. Actually, I'm going to try to be. Isn't that like us? God's trying to clip our nails so we don't die. He's trying to help us so we could live. And instead of embracing and surrendering to this process that is good for me, that benefits me, that ensures me long life, I fight and I peck and I distrust and I angrily try to escape and I even get mad at God. We need to be like Charlie, the finch, and rest and trust and surrender it all into his faithful hands. You see, Abraham laid down his Isaac, the most important earthly thing that he had. Lay down your Isaac today and remember the words of Andrew Murray He said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. Just like the owner of the finch, he assumed full responsibility to do what he needed to do for the benefit of that animal. Surrender your Isaac. That's what God's asking for today. Surrender your Isaac the thing that's most important to you. And then lastly, I'll conclude with this. Surrender, and this is a good one. I hope this one helps you a lot. Because so far we could be saying, gee whiz, this sounds hard. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of wrestling with God to get up in the morning to be able to pack up Isaac and head out on our way. But I suggest this, that you surrender your inability Surrender your inability and rest in the Lord. The truth is we cannot even surrender in our own strength. And we each need God's help and strength to do it. I find that when you start talking about things like seeking after God, surrendering all, and total devotion, we as people often have a tendency to strive in our flesh which will in many cases end in frustration, condemnation, and guilt. 
This is not what I'm talking about here. I am simply talking about a willingness to surrender, to give up. See, we think God is after more. He is after more, but not in an aggressive way. He's looking for us to say, God, I give. Take it all. A willingness to surrender, to give up, to let go and allow God into every part of our lives. The act of surrender does not require aggressive action, masterful skill, articulate speech, or great giftings. It only requires a lifting up of our hands and an acquiescing to his will and way. It's passive. You don't grunt and groan. You don't have to writhe and wring your hands. I'll do it. Take me. We sing it today. Have your way in me. Lord, have your way in me. I love Psalm 37. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord. We think God wants us to do all these great acrobatics, spiritually speaking. He's just looking for us to throw up a hand, surrender, and rest, and trust, and allow him to clip our nails. Stop striving and just surrender all to God. Let him take it from there. Yeshiahu 64, and it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, and all of us the work of your hand. Think about the role of the clay. Think about that. What does the clay really do? What, what does the clay do? Nothing. The clay can't even get its way to the wheel. Right? The clay can't move. The clay can't do anything. It is totally incapable of doing anything to cause it to be this awesome piece of pottery that the potter has in mind. It can't get to the wheel. Once it's on the wheel, it can't spin the wheel. And when the wheel starts to spin, it just sits there like a voidless blob. Can't do anything. Until the potter plunges his hand into the clay and begins to mold and shape and do something wonderful out of the clay that can do absolutely nothing but remain on the wheel. So tell me, what is God looking for from you and I? He is the potter. He does all the work. He does all the design, all the thinking about what you're going to be. The beauty of who you are. He loves to create. He's creative. 
He is stoked about what he's going to make in you. He thinks it's awesome. He's not, putting, he's not doing things because he has nothing to do. He's creating awesome pieces of pottery. And so the potter puts you on the wheel and he's making you. He's doing all the work. He's doing all the molding, all the shaping. Everything that you are is a product of what he has done. Not what you've done, not what you've desired, and not what you thought of, not of where you want to be or what type of vessel and what liquid you want to hold. None of that is up to you, right? It's up to the potter. And we could do one of two things. And, and, and he addresses it, if you read, read that whole passage, can the, can the clay say to the potter, why have you made me like this? Right? It sounds silly, right? It sounds like, of course it can. The clay has the only thing the clay can do is abide, rest, trust, embrace, be willing, surrender. You know, we talked about a few months ago, faith, right? Emunan, trust. Why is it so important? It comes to play again here. Do you, you know, Avraham was able to take the most important earthly thing to him for this one simple reason. He trusted God implicitly. He trusted God, and he said, God is not going to fail me. God is not going to hurt me. God is not going to take my precious son whom I love. God is not going to do it. So even if he tells me to slay him, I'll do it because I know God will somehow provide, somehow, some way, even if he has to raise him up from the dead. I trust him. And the good news is, in our trusting of God, we say, I surrender to my own inability. I can't do it. I can't do it at all. When we admit our helplessness and then finally surrender what we were surrendering is the idea that we can fix anything ourselves. We give up on us. We surrender us. And you know, that's where we are today, right at this moment. God's not calling you and I to simply give up a few things. He wants you to give up on the idea, on the concept that you can do anything for yourself. You and I need to sing the song... I surrender all. Can I tell you, that's an old hymn. It's been in my spirit all week as I've been preparing for this. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my precious Savior. I surrender all. And do it not thinking, as we often do, I surrender all my sins. No, it goes this way. I surrender 
all of me. I surrender the idea that I can obey in my own strength. I surrender the belief that I can fix anything myself. I surrender the hope that I may be, that maybe I can make myself better. Lord, I'm giving up on me and I'm surrendering to you and trusting myself into your faithful hands. I want to tell you the biggest problem with people who struggle in the body of Messiah is they're striving to fix themselves. Be better. Be more loyal. Be more faithful. Be more on fire. You're putting the cart before the horse. Those things happen as a result of surrender. As a result of doing nothing but saying, God, have all of me. Those things are a result. They don't produce the result. Surrender produces the... Think of a surrender. Okay, Miles, stand up. I want you to surrender. Get up. Surrender. What's Miles doing? He's not doing anything, really. He's got his hands up. Surrender. That's what a surrendering person looks like. He's not striving. He's not attacking me. He's not trying to take something that I have and make it his own. Surrender. (laughs) He says this. This is what a surrendering party does. I give up. Take me. I'll go willingly. You don't have to shoot me or kill me. I'll go. Isn't that what God wants? See, we think somehow God's our enemy. Some of us think God's our enemy. What's wrong? There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. But know this, you can't do it yourself. You can't fix yourself. But you can surrender. Everyone in this room could surrender. We could all say, God, take all of me. Have it all. Do what you want to do. Make me into what you want to make me for your purposes. We could all do that. Is In closing, I have a couple of simple questions I want you to ponder. Is what you call surrender the same thing as what God calls surrender? Have you really surrendered? You see, are you willing to let go of your life and let God have it? All of it. All of you. That's the most powerful question in the history of mankind. Are you willing to let God have all of you?
You see, to yield completely involves three areas of your life. Your past. You willing to yield it to God? Some of you want to hold on to your past. And it's beaten the living daylights out of you. The pain, the hurt, the mistakes, the regrets, you're living in the past. God wants you to give it all to him. Not only your past, but your present, today, right now, and your future as well. I'm going to give you four things that total surrender means. Jot them down. Surrendering your life means following God's lead without knowing where he's sending you. And the example is Avraham. God said, go to a place that I will show you. And what did he do? He went. The second thing is waiting for God's timing without knowing when it will come. Again, Avraham. You'll have a son, the promised one. Maybe he thought it would happen in a year, a day, you know. But how long did it take? Over 20 years. Expecting a miracle without knowing how God will provide. Like the three Hebrew children, what they say? I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make it or not make it, but trust in God. I'm going to worship him. And they turned out okay. Not even smelling like smoke. And then lastly, trusting God's purpose without understanding the circumstance. Job. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Job did not have any clue as to why he was going through all of this stuff, the circumstances he was going through. But he was able to trust God even though he didn't understand. You know what? I find that's one of the, the, the most frequently asked questions to the rabbi. Rabbi, how come this is happening to me? How come I'm going through this? How come God hasn't come through? How come the wicked prosper? How come the righteous perish? Why are these circumstances happening? You see, surrendering is trusting God even in circumstances that I don't understand. That's what it means to fully surrender those things. Can you do it? I think we all can. I think everyone in this room could wrap their head around that simple thing to surrender to God. Know what that might mean for you? Maybe a circumstance that you so desperately want to change on a dime right now won't. Maybe it will, but maybe it won't. But do you trust God even in the circumstance?
you know what? I've, I've had many conversations with God. And I've often thought on the other side of those conversations with God, you know, God, it could be totally possible that in some of these things that I'm asking, asking you about, I could just have the, the paradigm totally wrong. Totally wrong. See, we think we know what our life should look like, what our circumstances should be, but in reality, God knows. I mean, would you think that a a guy like Abraham, that God would put him in a circumstance to go and sacrifice his son? Why? He was on good terms with Abraham. He loved Abraham. Abraham was, was faithful to God. Abraham was carving out a nation on behalf of God. Abraham didn't rebuke that harsh reality. Instead, he trusted God in that challenging circumstance. And look what God did. The Akidah, the bonding of Yitzhak, again, speaking about the one who would be provided at that very spot later, who would be the Messiah, who God would use to redeem the world. You see, we think sometimes even short-sightedly, you know, we're thinking of the now and in our life, and God sometimes is thinking generations into the future by the very act of us trusting God in this moment like he was Abraham. God was thinking about a greater redemption in the Messiah, right? And yet Abraham was just perhaps thinking only about his hardship to offer up his son. You see, we really can't wrap our minds around all that God has in mind for us when we find ourselves in situations and circumstances and his leadings, his timing, and his provision. We don't know all of those things. But God never asks us or requires us to know. He just requires us to surrender and trust. I want to see if he could do it. Surrender. I want to see if you could surrender right now to God. Come on, lift your hands as an act of surrender. Could you do it? Yeah, you could do it. Kind of feels good, doesn't it? God, I surrender. Have your way. Say, God, I surrender. Have your way. Have all of me. I trust you with my life.
I'm going to close with that comment from Wilbur Chapman when he said that the greatness of a person's power is in the measure of their surrender. Think about that as you go through your week. And I think God has designed it that way because every one of us could do that. We're not required to do anything else. We don't have to have any great anything, just a willingness to surrender. Avino Malkano, our Father and our King, we thank you. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, that you want to help us, but you need to be at the wheel. You need to be at the helm of our life, steering our ship into safe waters. So, Lord, each one of us, Lord, sometimes struggle to allow you to come and take control of our lives and our hearts and our will. But, Lord, we know and we realize, Lord, if we're reasonable, that that is the best way. It's the way in which our lives will truly be filled with joy and life and fruitfulness and pleasure, a godly pleasure. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we surrender. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. I'm going to say the ironic blessing, and you are free to go. And I'm going to tell you this stay warm, be smart, um, and uh, give a shout out if you need anything because they say there might be power outages, so just be careful. Um, before we do, though, let's say we we're going to say the. Uh, Kiddish. And if you want, grab a piece of challah before before you go. Say it with me. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam Hamotzei Lechem Min Haaretz Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, who brings forth bread, resurrection life. On the earth, amen. Maybe a little butter. That'd be nice. Baruch atarunai Eloheinu melech olam borei pari hagafen. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Father, create the fruit of the Ruach HaKodesh within each of us, we pray. B'Shem Yeshua. Great. Well, God bless you. Shabbat Shalom. Come take a piece of challah and enjoy. I'm going to make my way to the piano. If you guys want to linger and stay and reflect, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that as well. So, it's all good. You're allowed to eat and see God. It's amazing. God is not religious like that, like that.